Welcome to Empowered Mind Body Inspiration. The mind is the map to wholeness, wellness, health. The heart is the key to genius and inspiration. Join me and my guests as we explore how to release and rewire into who you truly are unique, whole, and empowered. Please like, share, and subscribe. Spiral up, spiral out. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have Dr. Leslie Kasanoff. She has spent her whole life in healthcare, including 25 years as a holistic chiropractor on the central coast of California. She combines her knowledge of science with her holistic and nutrition expertise. She works with women who want to lose weight, address hormone issues, and resolve resolve chronic health issues. Welcome, Dr. Leslie. How are you? you. Yeah, so good to have you. Thank you. And today we're going to try to do some myth busting on, you know, how many, many people believe that menopause is painful and many are in a painful menopause. And you, you say that if you treat, if you work with it before and you've even turned around symptoms, I believe, but we're going to talk all about that through diet and nutrition, whole food diet. And I also love your perspective on living your authentic self. So I'm sure that's going to be all intertwined. So happy to have you on Empowered. Great. It's great to be here. Yeah. So where do you start with most women? Do you start with diet or do you start with, like, where do you begin? It it just, a lot of it depends on why they're coming to me. And typically because most, most people in our society are very symptom oriented. We start with the symptoms, but I also take kind of the 50,000 foot view, if you will, about the symptoms. So they may come in, you know, the pretty typical is they come in with the mood swings and the weight gain and the, you know, I, I, a lot of times I just refer to it as, you know, mood swings, weight gain, and trying to remember why the heck you walked into a room. It's like that whole brain fog, you know, not things not quite clicking the way that they used to. A lot of that is the presenting stuff. And so we'll start to address that, but then we'll take a step back and we'll look at the 50,000 foot view as far as the hormones and how all that intertwines and their gut microbiome and their environment and just the whole bigger picture. And by looking at the whole, the bigger picture, we can usually get much better longer term results. So we will, right. yeah. And then combine, yeah, like I said, the diet is a very big factor there because most people have no clue that probably 80 to 90% of their symptoms are related to what's on the end of their fork. Right. Even in perimenopause. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a whole picture, like the person is a whole person. And so everything has to be looked at, but you (laughs) often find diet is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So, so what do you find people are eating that causes a lot of symptoms? Um, Well, one of the first things that 
I try and get across to them is that it's really hard to, it's kind of two levels. It's really hard to get any results on kind of the standard American diet because we're eating foods that are so refined that have so little nutritional value that you're not getting what you need. And guess what your body does when it get when it doesn't get what it needs? You're continually hungry, you're continually trying to feed it. So it's not until you start to feed it a little bit better that you're going to start to get any results. And the other part of it is, you know, it's not just the standard American diet per se with all the processed stuff. It's also the, it's also eating a very heavily animal food laden diet. So I, I tell people, you know, you're not going to get really good results with trying to balance your hormones and get rid of these hot flashes and get rid of the weight gain and all that stuff. When you're, when you're eating animal food, maybe 15 or more times a week, when you really look at it, you know, by the time you look at butter and cheese and all those other things that you're eating, because you're basically adding more hormones every time you open your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's one, it's one of those, um, it's one of those invisible things. I liked it. It's almost like, you know, if you refer to it as like the wallpaper, you start to get the analogy. It's like the wallpaper of, of how we eat in, in, you know, the, the American diet, there's so much, there's so much animal food in there. We don't really even recognize it because, and, and it all has hormones in it. Yeah. No, and, even... it all has, and it all has naturally occurring hormones because it's all coming from an animal that is, that's, that has its own hormones. Yeah. Uh, very interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we think that we'll take estrogen in order to reverse menopause or just stop, slow it. But I had a patient in her sixties who was taking hormones, estrogen, and she, her hot flashes were so bad and plus food, you know, plus, plus plastics and all of that. And interesting enough, when I gave her flicculinum, which was estrogen in homeopathic form, it helped so much because we were um, negating the effects of over estrogen, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what you find too is happening with food. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing of it is, you know, people, like I said, I think we don't recognize, like when I say something about hormones in the food, the first response I get from the average untrained public is, well, I only eat organic grass fed. And it's like, okay, but where is that organic grass fed what you're eating coming from. It's coming from a cow. A cow is a female who weighs about a thousand pounds and has the amount of estrogen sourcing through her system that's commensurate with a thousand pound cow, as opposed to, you know, we have the amount of estrogen that's commensurate with our body size and type and species, which is a whole lot less. And then when you think in terms of 
dairy products, you know, not only are you taking in the estrogen that she has, you're taking in all those growth factors that are designed to turn that little cute 40 pound calf into a thousand pound cow in a year. Yeah. And you wonder why you're gaining weight. I mean, not to, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want people, people to feel like I'm talking down to them. It's just like, they don't, they don't recognize that stuff for what it is. And so a lot yeah. of it is just about exposing them to that perspective. Right. So that's yeah. why even dairy should be avoided because it's like you say, it's meant to turn a calf into a cow. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for me personally, that's when I had the major change in my own, you know, in my own history and my own story was when I stopped eating dairy because I was basically vegetarian for my entire adult life, but I still ate dairy and then off and on, you know, at various points in time, I, I maybe ate some fish or maybe did or didn't eat poultry, but for most of my adult life, my diet was substantially vegetarian, but it wasn't until, and then menopause hit me really hard. And it wasn't until I, and until I really gave up the dairy, started putting together the whole thing about dairy and the hormones that I realized that this probably is having an effect. And within a few weeks, you know, most of my symptoms were gone. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. That's, yeah. And that's quick. Yeah. With one big change. Mm -hmm. So what do you suggest people do uh, consume instead of dairy? Well, you know, here's the thing. Dairy in this country is just really, when you look at it, it's a bad habit. And now um, we're so used to it. The fact is our bodies don't need it. And, you know, the next question I often get asked is like, well, where do you get your protein? And my standard response to that is kind of like, where does the gorilla get his protein? You know, because the thing of it is, is that we are actually the only primate that eats animal products, really. And our bodies really weren't designed for it. If you actually, if you actually start doing you know, we don't really need to go down this rabbit hole in any great detail. <laughs> but if you really start looking at a lot of a lot of the studying about what our mouth looks like and what our digestive tract looks like and things of that nature, we really are not carnivores. Our bodies can tolerate that stuff, but we're really not carnivores. Right. And I think there's a small percentage of the population that really does need it. Like I've heard of people getting better if they do, you know, eventually eat some, you know, meat related products, but for the most part, you're yeah. healthier with very little or none. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the thing is, is that there's a difference between eating some and eating it every single day, often for people in our society, eating it every single meal. I mean, you look at their diets, they eat 
eggs or and or bacon in the morning. They eat some kind of processed meat in a sandwich for lunch. And then they're eating a slab of meat on a plate with a vegetable and a salad for dinner. And so oftentimes they're eating meat 20 times a week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and dairy, do you, do you suggest almond milk or that kind of thing to replace it or what's your thoughts? You know, my thoughts are whatever, you know, almond milk, soy milk, um, oat milk, you know, any of those milks, I'm not a huge fan of coconut milk just because there's so much fat in it. Um, and I don't feel, you know, I feel like, you know, some of the other milks have more nutrition for the amount of fat. Like I feel like almond milk is maybe a little bit better. Um, but I say it's more preference. The one thing I am pretty adamant about is that if they're eating soy, that it needs to be organic because otherwise it's genetically modified and that's going to mess up their gut because of both because of the GMOs and because, you know, the heavy burden of pesticides, because it is GMO. Yeah, which can so, really yeah. destroy what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, because so much of it is, is about the gut and about getting that proper gut metabolism, getting that proper gut balance with the good guys and the microbiomes so that they're actually producing what... I'm sure you know now, but what a lot of the audience may not yet understand is that 80 to 90% of our hormones are actually made by our gut microbiome and are then absorbed into our bloodstream. So if your gut microbiome is off because you've got a heavily, a heavily processed diet or a heavily meat-based diet, then you know all your hormones are going to be off. Right. So you suggest people look at uh, cultures that are way less processed and are healthier as a result to look at food choices. Mm -hmm. So what is, what are some of the things that you suggest? Well, I kind of, I look a lot at, I've done a lot, a lot of studying about the blue zone regions, which for anyone that doesn't know, those are basically five areas throughout the world that are well known for the people that still that still lead more of a culturally based lifestyle. A lot of those people live into their 80s, 90s and beyond independently and still contributing to life and society at those ages. So those are the societies that I look to. So we're basically talking about the Okinawans who are basically the longest living people, you know, currently in the world. Um, and then we're talking about the Sardinians, which is an island in Italy, the Icarians, which is an island in Greece, um, the Nicoya Peninsula in Nicaragua, and then the Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California. And the thing is, is that if you, and those areas have been extensively studied, and when you look at their diets, their diets are different but the thing that they do have in, in common is that th their diets are about 90 to 95% whole food plant-based. So they do have a little bit of 
meat, depending on what the culture is, you know, in the, with the Okinawans, it tends to be fish or seafood with the Nicoyans. It also tends to be fish or seafood with, um, with the Mediterranean cultures, it tends to be more like sheep or, you know, maybe even a little bit of sheep dairy or that kind of thing. But again, you're talking less than 10% of your diet. Right. And one simple way to incorporate that and kind of still wrap your brain around it in our society and the way we're more used to eating is that if you think in terms of, you know, kind of the 20 meal, 20 ish meals a week, um, if you're eating meat or that kind of thing, two or three times a week, you're going to be in about the right frame of it being 10% of your calories without having to go down the tunnel of tracking everything and doing calorie counting and all that kind of stuff. You're going to be close enough. Now, and when I say two or three times a week, eat, you know, eating animal food, I'm also preferably little or no dairy, or if you do eat dairy, it definitely, sh- and, and all of your animal source foods should be organic grass fed. Right. Or naturally, you know, or, you know, wild caught if it's fish. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And, and so what about like, you know, carbs are plants, but Oh yes. <laughs> when, when you get into breads and pastas and that kind of thing. They... Okay. So I make a big distinction between processed carbs. So your pasta, your white rice, your breads, and that kind of thing, and your true whole grains. So like your quinoa, your barley, your brown rice, red rice, you know, there are basically, once you start, when you explore it, you find out there's a ton of different kinds of rices. It's not just white rice and brown rice. Um, So I make a big distinction between those kinds of, those two kinds of classes. And not that you can't have bread or you can't have pasta, but just that if you do have it, you want to recognize that it's a more processed form and you probably don't want to be eating it every single day. Right. So once a week, maybe. (laughs) You know, I I think it's up to the individual to kind of figure that out. Yeah. Um, I'm working a lot more these days with people because we do want to, you know, we do want to individualize people's diets. So I'm working a lot more these days with people just tuning into how their body really authentically feels a half an hour, two hours after they've eaten, you know, and just kind of check in and see, you know, well, I just ate this more processed X, whatever it was. And how does my body feel? Now it's going to probably feel very different if it's, you know, a a typical American processed kind of ready available food versus if it's like a, you know, a chickpea chickpea based pasta or something, you know, so there's going to be some variation in there, but starting to actually be in tune with your body and what, 
what feels better and what doesn't feel better and and distinguishing that from cravings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, brilliant, right? Because it, it's empowering yeah. to start paying attention yeah. to how your body feels. And, and then through elimination, trial and error, you figure out what your body works best with. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, people, we've gotten so far away from in our society, you know, cooking and food prep, and we've gotten so busy that I think that's one of the things that COVID's done for for a lot of people is that it's brought them back to the more important things and back to the basics. And so in that respect, I think it's kind of been a blessing for many people. So they've started cooking again. There's been this huge resurgence, I think you know, of, you know, sourdough bread making and all this more creativity stuff. And now that we are segueing out of the pandemic living, I hope we're not going to segue back into picking up those old bad habits again. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have made a lot of progress in that respect. Yeah. I was contemplating this morning how often or late summer and early fall, you know, the mother or the grandmother would spend weeks prepping for winter, right? Right. Preparing repairing vegetables that would last and making pickles and putting things in the freezer. And yeah. And we've yeah. just, we've just, it's become so convenient that we've even lost the art of how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did a little bit of that back in my late twenties, early thirties. Um, my then husband had a huge garden in the backyard um, in fact, for most of the first 10 or 15 years of our, of our married life, I think we had more garden space than we did house space. <laughs> and so, you know, at various points in time, he did canning, I did canning. And it was really, it was really kind of fun, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lost art. Yeah. It requires time. Even like I, I've had a garden the last few summers and it requires, yeah, daily. You have to daily yeah. put your love in there. <laughs> yeah. It's time consuming. Like, you know, you think about the, the traditional farm life, you know, they spent sun up to sundown just taking care of life. Yeah. Bringing our food to the table. Yeah. And then there's all the insects that you have to deal with, like earwigs have eaten all my lettuce. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, we get so used to it arriving in the grocery store. Perfect. Yep. But it just makes you aware yep. of how much effort it takes. So where should we go next? What other tips do you have? Exercise, I know, is um, another thing that you really you talk about. And it's, you know, we tend to go into you know, spurts of exercise. Mm -hmm. What do you, yeah. you know, like go to the gym and then people get tired of that and then they quit altogether. What do you suggest? Well, one of the things I really like to, you know, and I've done, and I, I talked about this with um, the younger people that I saw when I was in chiropractic practice as well, which is one of the things I really am a big proponent of is finding something physically active that you enjoy doing 
and doing that throughout your life. And even so, and just getting into the habit. So even if you're not doing the full, well-rounded, you know, ideally you want to be doing strength training and conditioning and aerobics and flexibility and, you know, and all the things, but even if you're at points in life where you can't maybe do all those things and you're not like, I'm not, an, I'm not a gym rat kind of person, just I've never gone there. Um, you know, I've had gym memberships at various points in time and just never really did much with them because I'd much rather be outdoors exercising. But, and I really encourage people to do that because it does a couple of things. First of all, it gives you that connection to the outdoors and nature, which our bodies so much need. And then it gives you something that it's like, I tell people, find something that you enjoy doing, whether it's competitive or it's not competitive, whether it has camaraderie with it or not, you know, you can make that distinguish, just find, distinguishment, just find something that you enjoy that you can do for the rest of your life and continue doing it. So that's kind of like the bottom line where I like to encourage people. And then from there, you know, ideally we should do some stretching and some strengthening, you know, on a regular basis. And, you know, and those are kind of the basic components because if you're doing something outdoors, chances are it's gonna be aerobic and it's gonna require some kind of balance in there, you know, whether it's running or it's cycling or it's, you know, water sports or whatever it's gonna be. Those things usually require some level of balance. So you're working on that as well. So, you know, so you put a little bit of stretching in there and a little bit of, you know, the the strength building periodically when you can. Um, but but just having that basis is so important for people. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, yeah, it should become part of our life and yeah. yeah part and, of and, a lifestyle. Yeah. Right. And 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 if you think about it in terms of your family, you know, and, and this is where I think most Americans self-included <laughs> in that one make and made and continue to make the mistake of um keeping our fitness separate from our family life you know it's um if we do those things on more of a regular basis where we incorporate the family then our kids are going to model that they're going to see and learn by doing you know and you know, we didn't do as much of that as I feel we should, as I now feel we should have when the kids were growing up. You now we went out and did hikes periodically, and then it turned into just mom doing the hikes because dad was busy doing other stuff, you know. Um, so, you know, so there was that, you know, on again, off again thing. But I feel like um, that kind of thing should be more incorporated into our lifestyle than it is currently. Yeah. You know, when mine were little, I would watch, you know, you would take them to a dance class and all the moms would be sitting and watching. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's a problem here because yeah. this is the only time the parents would actually have time to exercise themselves, but they're, they're watching. And like yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, like I was a dancer, so I took my girls to dance, but they, they, 
didn't like it. So I found other things and I thought, well, I'll find something that they can do and I can do at the same time. So we Mm -hmm. found gymnastics and circus and horseback riding and I would do it with them. Exactly. Because time is limited. Yeah. But if you could, yeah, if your kid's into, you know, outdoor sports, like canoeing and that kind of thing, right? That's what you're saying to incorporate Um, it. With my own family, you know, we did, you know, we did some hiking and then as they got older, we live on the coast so we did, we did get into a little bit of kayaking, but it wasn't really as regular as I would have liked it to be. And the one thing that I did more than anything else that I never involved the kids in, and I'm really sorry I didn't now, is bicycling, which certainly I could have involved them. It's just that, to be frank about it, at that point in life, I didn't have the patience for the fact that the kids were only going to ride three miles when I wanted to ride 20. So it's, it's, it's about that dance of how can I get, how can I do this as a family activity and then somehow still be able to get what I need out of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you go for the long hike with your little yeah. one and you end up carrying them half the way and you're just exactly. completely yeah. exhausted. And just... like now, now I know, you know, now I've actually more recently found people that are starting to incorporate. I, I do some bicycle touring and I'm starting to find people that online that are actually starting to incorporate things like being able to bring their 10 to 15 year olds on a bicycle tour with them um, and that kind of thing. And I just, I really wish we had taken the time to do that kind of thing with our family. Yeah. So you're saying yeah. it's, it's a clue. Get yeah. Creative. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So you find with, often with exercise and whole foods and just changing your lifestyle, you can turn around a lot of chronic problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think the thing is, is that most people, you know, we've been brought up in a medicine cabinet, really, when you look at it, you know, we've been taught from the day we were born. If you've got a pain, you take this drug. If you've got this, you take this drug. If you've got this, you take this drug. So it's, you know, when you really look at it, food is our best medicine. And there's there are more and more books on the market every day about that, about using food as medicine, about that whole thing, but kind of the basic gist of it is, like I said, really early, really, excuse me, earlier, really, it's that when you look at it, our gut makes 90% of our hormones, actually our gut microbiome, which is the balance of those gut bacteria, they make the hormones. Now, if you're feeding your gut right, you're eating more whole grains and more beans and more fruits and veggies and more of all those things. Now, all those things feed our gut well, as far as our physical being, they also feed the gut microbiome properly so that they can grow better and they can make more of those hormones. 
So once you start to get that balance back in there, then a lot of these things will heal themselves. And people that are more enmeshed in the medical model don't understand some of the basics. Like you can ba- you, you can basically reverse type two bi- diabetes in most people with a whole food plant-based diet and a predominantly plant-based diet. And you say that to them and they're like, but the doctor says I shouldn't eat carbs. The thing is, is that you can't eat the com- you can't eat the processed carbs. When you cut back on the processed carbs and you start eating whole carbs, you actually pull all the fat out of those cells and they start to be able to allow insulin to do its thing properly and let the sugar into the cells again. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, so, and there's tons of examples of many different other, you know, disease processes that work very similarly. It's like when you, when you start to alter the diet and put it back to more of a natural state, you know, people, you, you, a lot of these things tend to, we lessen the symptoms. Lots of times, you know, people will go back to their medical diet doctor and they'll be like, what are you doing? Because they're getting results that they never got. Yeah. A simple way I find to look at it is the more processed it is, the quicker it'll turn to sugar in your body. Exactly. Yeah. So a processed carb is going to cause, yeah, yeah, Yeah. quicker sugar, more problems. So the more, the simpler whole grains, Mm -hmm. yeah, body needs to work to convert them. Right. So yeah. 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 um, One of the things that I'll tell people sometimes is when you, when you eat, something that has flour in it, it's almost like you've pre-digested it. When you look at it, one of the big things that happens in the stomach is that we break down the large size particles into smaller size particles. And then in the the smaller intestine, it gets broken down further. Well, when you're taking in a pulverized flour, you've already done a lot of that. So in some senses, it's almost like you've pre-digested it. So now you take it in, what does it do? Bam, it shoots up your blood sugar really, really quickly. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's in pastas and breads, let alone cakes and cookies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the cakes and cookies, of course, have the sugar and the oil added on top of all that. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah. So that, that's a great conversation. Very, really, really good. So I love your perspective on living your authentic self. And, you know, I think that's all tied into our health as well, because when we're living our authentic self, we're, we're, we're healthier in our mind, which also feeds, you know, it's connected to our body. What's, what's your perspective there? What's your life, life lesson that you, my life lesson, I could write a book on that. Um, you know, I, I think that's, I, I, I think that's one of the things that we as women often go through during the perimenopause, menopause years of just kind of looking back and saying, 
you know, I started out to do this. Is that what I really did? Like, I know for me, um, a lot of, you know, what I, what I wanted to do in life was being, was about being able to, to contribute to the health and well-being of large numbers of people. And when I really looked at that in a chiropractic practice, the only people I could contribute to were those that I could literally get my hands on in a day. So of course that limits me on a very physical, tactical basis, which is a lot of what this transition into health coaching and consulting was all about, was about simplifying things to where I don't have the overhead, I don't have the office space, I'm not doing the insurance billing, I don't have all those headaches, but I'm still able to contribute to people's health and well-being, um, hopefully on a larger basis than what I could in an office. So I kind of feel like that's a lot of what we get back to once, you know, it, for most of us, it's it's more once our kids have grown or at least grown to the point to where they're teenagers and they're more on their own, then we can kind of look back and say, well, you know, what is it I want the rest of my life to be about? And, you know, I know personally doing that dance while the kids were growing up was very, very difficult. And working with women to presence that and make it, you know, and help them to make it as simple as possible along the way is, you know, is something that I don't have, you know, it's something that I really want to do more of. Because I yeah. feel like, you know, maybe I didn't do it the best way possible, but maybe they can learn from my mistakes. You know, it's like when you have kids, it's hard because you're juggling so many things. But I think just to hone in regularly on who your authentic self is and where you want to steer it so that when things do open up, you, you know, you're, you're focused and you can move in that direction. But you're saying to see the time when you have the freedom as an opportunity too, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's like, as we move on in life, we do have a lot more freedom to do that. So that, that thing is great. And I'm doing a lot more of that now, but it's also that dance of how, you know, how can women get back to being able to weave that into more of who they are on a daily basis yeah. and that in the forefront. Yeah. So how do you suggest people tune in to find their authentic self? I would say probably the easiest thing is just spending some time, you know, whether it's through meditation or journaling or any of those classical things we know help. Now, sometimes just to walk on the beach, connecting to nature, you know, right. when yeah. you can ask yourself some of those questions, just getting quiet. Quiet and slow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you can hear it. Yeah. Turning off the technology. <laughs> right yeah, yeah so important so how do people find you if they want to learn more about what you're teaching now and is there do you have any I know you have a website but is there anything else you can share okay so I do have a website which is just drlesliek.com um and 
I have a public Facebook page, which is Vibrant Health Over 40. And my Instagram is Dr. D- Dr. Leslie K. And all the doctor is just Dr. Leslie Leslie, and then the letter K. So, um, so Instagram is Dr. Leslie K. And those are the major ways. Right. I, I try to do that balance so that social media doesn't take up my entire life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then one of the little freebies that I do offer is I have a a kind of an inspirational wellness texting thing that I do as part of one of my membership programs. And if they want to, they can text the word wellness to the number 41259. And if they follow the prompts after that, they will get, uh, they will be able to get basically 30 days of um, inspirational, inspirational health oriented messages free three times a week. Oh, that's awesome. If they want to go further from there, we can talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes for a month. Yeah. Yeah. So I offer the first month for free. Right. So for three times a week, you're getting tidbits on ways you could tweak your life. Yeah. So it's like one um, one day is nutritionally oriented and one day is more inspiration and one day is more like just like general health stuff. So it's you know, it's kind of set up that way. And then they can actually dictate what time they want to get their messages. So it can come when it's convenient to them. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Leslie. Do you have any words of wisdom to finish with? Hmm. (laughs) Just the, just, I, I just want to encourage people to start tuning into the changes that their bodies are going through sooner rather than later. Um, I really feel like a lot, you know, most women can avoid that, that kind of thing that they think, you know, we, we think that the whole perimenopause thing is going to be pure hell and it doesn't need to be that way. If we take action now, and try to get things a little bit more in tune now, it's going to make things a whole lot easier when the perimenopause thing does. Right. So make little choices and changes now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. And for everyone out there, don't forget, don't give away your power to anyone else. Be the creator of your own life. Spiral up, spiral out. Spiral out.